Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. As always, take a hot second to just celebrate yourself for choosing to invest your time in something that's going to grow, expand your perspectives, and transform you. And I could not think of a better guest to bring on on the subject of giving and and transforming the world than this amazing woman. Becca Tankersley is the executive director of Lion's Heart and responsible for all major decisions regarding Lion's Heart, and she reports to the board of directors. She is currently serving as the member uh, as a member on the One OC nonprofit advisory council in Santa Ana, California, and the Girls on the Run of Orange County Board of Directors. I love Girls on the Run. Yay for runners. She became involved in, a no- in the nonprofit world at a very young age. Her first memory volunteering is at five. After high school, Rebecca did a year of AmeriCorps with, this, uh, with the City Year Rhode Island. It was there that she realized that for her, and she dedicated herself to a lifetime of service. She founded an LGBT rights organization at the age of 20 while attending Wilmington, gosh dang it, Wilmington (laughs) University, earning her degree in organizational dynamics, which is nonprofit management. She began her career with the American Cancer Society, fantastic organization, and came to Lion's Heart from the Girl Scouts Community Service and founded the Orange County Chapter of the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network. She currently lives in Anaheim Hills with her husband and house rabbit, Albus. Becca, welcome to the Princess and the Bee. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You are so welcome. I'm amazed. Like, so I know that you started your nonprofit involvement at a young age. What was the what was the reason you started volunteering at five years old? Um, so I lost my dad when I was two to cancer, and um, both him and my mom were in the military, and just service was very important to them. So. I think it was just kind of something that she kept going to honor him. Um, I mean, she still volunteers like crazy. That's all she does, I think. Um, So it's important to her as well, but it was really something that we kind of kept doing as a family and um, to honor my dad and just service has always been a big part of our family. That's amazing. And so with your mom setting this example, after you you realized your path was in nonprofits, how did you get started? Um, so kind of an interesting story, actually. I service, you know, I always grew up doing it in high school. I chaired a Really for Life in our town. Um, I was just always very involved, especially losing my dad. That was a big passion for me. I kind of wanted to make sure, you know, no other little girl has to go through that. And um I was volunteering with the Cancer Society, and this was in Delaware at the time, um, and I met uh, Bo Biden, who's Joe Biden's late son, and mm-hmm. he was the one that really was like, you know, Becca, you can, like, do this as a job, you know, <laughs> like, because I never really thought about it like that, and he was kind of the one, along with my mom, that encouraged me to do AmeriCorps, and that's when I really got exposed to working in the nonprofit field. And um, I went back to Delaware to go to school and kind of just, I finished in two and a half years because school is not my favorite place. So I knew what I wanted to do. I just wanted to get in and out and get started. Um, so yeah, I, I really was probably a success story of hiring a volunteer. Um, 
and I was lucky that the Cancer Society exposed me to a lot of different departments because they knew that this was something I was really interested in. So they exposed me to all the different things I could do within a nonprofit, and it was, I was very lucky in, in that sense. I love that. So you used your, your story of, and your experience of losing your father and that, that painful experience to be able to help and better. I mean, what a powerful way to honor his memory. Like that just, that just brings me tears and joy and just so much, so much. Um, I think that how you got started as well. I mean, Becca and I met through the fantastic group Elevate at a, at a mixer. And I was wowed and impressed with the fact that she, you had only been with Lionsheart for how many months before you became the executive director? Um, about six, I think. Yeah. So, so how did you step into that position? How did you step into that leadership role? And how are you, how is becoming the executive director of a nonprofit really stretched you and, and grown you? Um, well, I was very, very lucky to be with Terry, who's our founder. Um, I think she, so many people, and I have had issues with my age in um, the nonprofit field. When I first started at the Cancer Society, they kind of weren't promoting me because they thought I was too young and volunteers wouldn't listen to me and not giving mm. me that chance. So um, I, that's kind of why I started doing a lot of work within the young professional space, um, just to you know, motivate young professionals and keep them going. So it was kind of the opposite experience with Terry where so many other places I think would have overlooked me because of my age and she, knew I could do it. She knew, she she went to the board and really said there isn't anyone else she would want to do it. Um, you know, I know the mission. I, she knows my history and how passionate I am about, about service. And what we do is get teenagers involved in service. So it, it was a perfect fit for me to come here to begin with. Um, and she really empowered me. I think just knowing that she wanted me, that she knew I could do it, um, really needed an easy transition because I felt very confident and it, it really is inspired like amazing what just one person believing in you can do to your self-esteem you know yeah <laughs> I think I just had this overwhelming sense of empowerment from her that um I never doubted you know myself that I could do it um it was when she asked me and said she wanted to step down, would I be interested? I was like, that's literally my dream job, you know? <laughs> and um, about a week earlier, I'd had a conversation with my husband. We were watching something and, you know, they were talking about how in successful relationships, um, you have to believe in each other's goals and stuff like that. And he mm -hmm. turns to me and goes, we're gonna be CEO one day. And, you know, didn't think that was gonna be a week later, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lost my so, now, but. <laughs> so how has how has the role of CEO changed you for the better? What has been your major challenge stepping into this role, especially at such a at such a young age as well? Um, we did have uh, we grow so in Lionsheart we grow about fifty five percent every year, and we had hit a point where you know, things were shifting. We were, mm -hmm. we grew rapidly. We made some changes to adjust to that. When I stepped in, we were kind of seeing that our members and our volunteers didn't necessarily agree with those changes. So mm -hmm. we were, um, our retention was dipping. We weren't attracting as many new people. Um, so I came in at kind of a difficult time um, with, really adjusting our program. So the first thing I did is really listen to everyone and found out, you know, why they're here, what, what's attracting them to the program, what, you know, what they weren't agreeing with. Um, we just made very simple changes that we thought they would enjoy. And, you know, sometimes they don't react the way you think they would. Um, mm -hmm. And then adjusted our program from there to kind of win them back a little bit. But with that came financial stress. So within the first three months of me taking over, we were in a very difficult financial position. 
So for anyone, that's not easy. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say I actually am a little grateful it happened because that was the one piece that I didn't have as much experience with or wasn't, you know, 100% comfortable with, but it forced me to get extremely comfortable very quickly. And I pulled us out of it within a matter of about six months, um, which was, I still kind of can't believe it. So, wow. <laughs> um, just with simple changes and some restructuring staff wise. Um, but it really, I think very quickly changed my view of things and um, made me more confident in this position that I really, you know, knew what I was doing and um, comfortable with some difficult conversations and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like to avoid. Yeah. But that is extraordinary. I mean, I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this podcast and the thing is, is sometimes, especially when you're solopreneuring it, sometimes you're financing it all yourself. Now, this is was different, obviously, in your, um, in your case. But at the same time, when you look at that, take a look at your numbers, and then that forces you to grow. Where like you can either grow or die, like basically, mm -hmm. and you just chose to thrive and rise to that challenge. So what is it in you that that created this this tenacity and resilience to just rise to whatever challenge is is thrown at you? Um it's funny because I do feel like it's something I've had to do rather quickly and, and I'm part of some executive director groups and a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you know what to do? And how, especially because it was my first time and I, I didn't have that experience and I am pretty young. I, I not anymore because I know I was recently dethroned as the youngest ED in Orange County, but um, <laughs> for a while I was. As you get older, other people get, you know, come in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, sometimes you got to pass that crown to somebody yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get sensitive about it too. So now, you know, it's good and bad, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, but I get asked a lot, like, how did you know what to do and, and all this stuff? And I, for me, I think it was common sense. Like I just looked at data, I'm a big data person. So I looked at data and looked at things and talked to our volunteers and it, it just, it was very natural what happened, I think. Um, but the biggest thing was realizing we had bad data. We had a lot of bad data that we didn't realize. And you know, when I, having a new set of eyes, I was like, this is not adding up at all. Something's really wrong here. And saw just how bad it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think I get a little, I like to prove myself, I think. And I felt, I think, especially coming in and ha having it happen so quickly, I felt like, it, you know, this is where that happens. This is where I do that. Um, and I definitely thrive off of someone telling me I can't do something. <laughs> you and um, me both. <laughs> yeah. When I started the nonprofit when I was in college, um, it was from a situation where my best friend was attacked and nobody was doing anything about it. And mm -hmm. I had a police, you know, a police chief tell me that's the law if I didn't like change it. So I said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, good for you and i did so um wait you changed the law around lgbt yeah in delaware there were wasn't um like anti-discrimination laws and stuff like that so i you know learned about that because i didn't know what i was doing i didn't really know how government and everything worked um and i learned i met some people and connected with them and we got anti-discrimination laws passed within six months and a hate crime law so well done. Yeah. Well done. Tell me you, I can't do something. And uh, <laughs> in six months, you'll have it done. Yeah. That seems to be your track record. Yeah. <laughs> so looking, looking at that resilience, how would you encourage, since you work with a lot of teens um, in your organization, how would you encourage teens to tap in and dig into that that courage and that resilience to just challenge other people's perspectives that they can't do something. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, the youth really, and not even just today, like if you look at the history of things, youth is really who's driving a lot of change throughout all of our different time periods. Mm -hmm. um, they just have a different perspective on things and 
maybe they're a little less jaded that, you know, they can't make a difference. And I think for them, a lot of it is they don't know what to do. So, you know, really do some research and make some connections and find people that are also passionate about something, which is kind of what we do. We help them find their passions and, you know, get together and throw out ideas and just kind of get out there and do something. Um, I know it's scary, but it's, it's really where change happens is getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. Now, do you think that a lot of this ab- abil- your, your just massive ability to adapt and rise came from the, the tragedy that you experienced when you were a kid? I'm sure it does. Um, I think, you know, as an adult, you realize how much certain trauma has affected your life. And I still to this day learn, um, oh, I do that because of this thing that happened when I was a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure that that's stemming from it. And then, you know, some of the ripples that come from losing him so young. Um, I, I, I do remember being a kid and kind of like why do I have to mow the lawn when all my like five years old when all my friends are playing like I you know just not understanding certain things and I was always changing and I always felt a little different than my peers I think because of it and I mean Mm. it it shows with how quickly I excelled in my career versus a lot of you know my peers. So what would you say is your your vision for where you want to take this world because good lord within six months you could have it changed yeah (laughs) um i think a lot of what we see now it's just we need more empathy out in the world and and that's a lot of why terry founded lion's heart is um you know just that focus on empathy and collaboration and you know inclusivity we just need to be more empathetic with each other and less uh so self-focused I think um thinking about those around us in our communities and with kindness Mm. I completely 100% agree and I I think now in the nonprofit world is that is that more women than men are drawn to nonprofits or have you in your experience seen it be pretty evenly balanced as far as the women to men ratio, depending upon the the nonprofits? Well, what's interesting, yes, it is more women. Um, Women make up about 80% of the workforce in a nonprofit, but Mm. we only hold about 20% of leadership positions. And that number shrinks to about five or 6% when that budget increases over 5 million. So um, it's interesting, you know, there's definitely still, we definitely don't have to deal with some of the issues that, you know, for-profit companies and women that have, you know, I hear, especially at Elevate, I hear all these stories of working with men and that just hasn't quite been my experience, but mm-hmm. there definitely is an issue there that we're not hiring women for, it's almost like there's something, a distrust or something that a woman can, a woman can handle a budget that size, you know? Yeah. Um, it still does come into play a little bit. How would you as a leader challenge the 80% and mobilize that 80% to rise into leadership positions in nonprofits like you have? Um, I think that can be very similar in the for-profit field. And it's actually something that I've been working. I've stepped away from Young Nonprofit Professionals Network and kind of moved into more of a female empowerment space. And um, I think a lot of it, falls into the things that women often seem to fall into where you read a job description and we can't do one thing so we don't apply Mm. you know we think we're not they're not going to give me that job or i you know i'm not qualified for this job where a man reads it and reads you know i have this one qualification (laughs) i i should get this job (laughs) um a lot of that's still happening so um you know just knowing your worth and knowing your i think a big thing that i've learned in the and since taking this job is knowing where my boundaries are, mm-hmm. um, what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. Um, so I, I mean, everyone needs to be aware of that and just kind of fight for yourself. I think, um, 
one thing that happens in the nonprofit space is we assume you can't make a certain amount, you can't make a living wage because you're working for a nonprofit, but really that's not, we're only doing a disservice for ourselves, and that it's really not fair the box that people put nonprofits into. You need to have a qualified person and you need to, to get that, you need to pay them a certain amount to run these budgets. Um, you know, one that always comes up is the Red Cross and how much money their CEO makes, but she was making probably 10 times what she is, if not more, when she, I believe she came from AT&T, but she isn't responsible, you know, she's making maybe 300,000 and people argue against that. She's responsible for a, you know, $20 trillion budget. You can't pay someone nothing to be responsible for that. Um, you're just not gonna get who you need in that position. Um, so I think we kind of don't fight for ourselves as much because we, we are here for a mission and that's very important, but we also need to be able to pay people to do like fairly and, and you know, for what they're worth. Yes. Oh, preach it. <laughs> Becca, like one of the number one books I recommend to a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders is Barbara Stanny's Overcoming Under Earning, which was recommended to me by uh, a coach friend of mine years ago, uh, back when I was a chronic under earner trying to be of service with my skill set, but mm -hmm. not charging for it. And thus also not being able to have the, the transformation. There is something to be said about when you invest in yourself and vice versa, when you stand up for the investment that someone is making in you and why you are worth every single penny of, of that number, whatever that number is. Yeah. And we're only, you know, I, I came up in the nonprofit field and part of why I started YNPN was I saw so many of my peers leaving because they can't, you know, they can't, they just can't keep it up. They can't continue to make such little money. A lot of them were working two, three jobs. And, and that's what always gets me when those things kind of float around, especially around the holidays about, you know, well, this person spends this much on money. And it's just like, they're still make like these people are still working multiple jobs and you're not getting the full thing that you could out of them if they didn't have to be doing that, you know? Yeah. It's just, it, it's a tricky situation, I think, with nonprofits, because, I mean, I definitely understand that, you know, you need to have a, um, your ratio of admin expenses and stuff, and what's going back to the program needs to be within a reasonable range, typically, mm -hmm it's like set as long as it's 75% back to the program is kind of a fair amount. Um, but it's like people expect you to be making nothing. And it's just, that's just not a, a nonprofit is never going to be able to truly deliver its mission if you can't spend money. Mm. I love the fact that, that you touched on that because worth and and really valuing that investment that people are putting in of their time um, into these amazing causes. And, and what's the cost if they're not able to, to be compensated properly for, for that? I think that that's a bigger question of what's the cost to the nonprofit and to the cause and, and what's the cost to the greater good? Yeah. Versus just, what's the cost of the, of the CEO's salary. Mm -hmm, yeah. I've watched so many very talented people walk away from this field because of compensation. And mm. it's, it's sad to see someone so passionate. And I think that's the thing that gets young professionals is they come in very idealistic and then, you know, adulting hits and they can't afford their rent or they're still <laughs> living with their parents and they don't want to be. Um, and it, it's sad, you know, yeah. So how would you encourage people to step into that, that worth and, and what, what beliefs need to change within society in order to make that shift happen? Um, I, I mean, one, I think having these conversations is huge. I get it from my own family sometimes when they're talking about, uh, you know, some of it's Red Cross is the one that always comes up mm -hmm. how much she's making. Um, and it's like, you realize you're, you're talking about me now too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, having these conversations is really important. And 
I there's one graphic in particular that floats around every holiday season. It's like four bad, and I say that in quotes, yeah. <laughs> uh, nonprofits at the top, and then four good ones at the bottom. Which I actually argue against the ones that are on the the good ones. Really, <laughs> they're spending. Um, but it floats around every holiday season, and every single I actually have a thing saved on my phone that every time I see it, I will post on their comments, and most people take it down after they read it. Of uh, just uh, you know, we have to change how we're thinking about nonprofits. And there's a very good TED talk, and I can't for the life of me remember who it is. It's from probably like 2012, 2013 mm-hmm. about um, uh, it. It's going to bug me because he's a very well-known kind of marketing guy talking about how the way we think about nonprofits and how it all needs to change. And I think we can definitely Google it and, and link to it in, the show, in yeah, the show notes. Yeah. It's so deep that I don't really know the answer. It doesn't help that there are always people that use this space to, you know, make some money and scam some people, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because I think so many people think about that and don't want to give to any organization. And it, it's, it's really sad that people, you know, think that's okay, but you yeah. can't stop that. Um, but I think education and just having these conversations is big. One of the common things I see with a lot of good-hearted service-based, even for-profit entrepreneurs is the the idea that because they're providing a service that they would they should discount or lower their prices because they just want to provide the service and they want to help as many people as possible and one of the things that i commonly teach is that you cannot in in just in our world and how it is you cannot make more impact without making more income because that income gets then reinvested into the economy in various ways whether it's into more hiring more people whether it's into uh supporting more causes and donating to more nonprofits, whether it's into the families of the people that that are your employees and the families of the people that you serve by way of your your products and your services and the things that you are providing as a business owner and i think when we lose that perception and, and devalue the the service by devaluing ourselves and saying oh well let me just discount it let me just cut cut corners on the price it actually creates greater overwhelm, greater exhaustion, and eventually burnout to where you can't continue. And and that's I love the fact that you brought up the fact that so many good-hearted nonprofit leaders you have seen leave the field because of that very reason that they weren't being compensated for the amount of service that they were and energy that they were putting into their work. Yeah, and I think that we potentially have a talent issue um down the line with you know having um people in management that are familiar with the nonprofit space i think that's why we a lot of organizations uh, it's not a bad thing <laughs> i've seen it work out i've seen it been bad really terrible too but uh-huh. go to volunteers and hire from their volunteer base um good idea you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> when it works out just make sure they're the right fit for that job um but it's hard to get someone that stayed all the way through and mm you know, then it'd be good and bad. You have some management issues and um, depending on where you are and, and the person, but I'm sure that can happen anywhere as well. So how do you think being a woman has actually helped you in, in the nonprofit field? Um, I mean, for me, I, I definitely have a little bit of a different view on, on some of this stuff because it is so woman heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being in this space, just because women can be more empathetic um, naturally, you know, it's just kind of in us. Um, working with volunteers has really, it comes very naturally to a lot of us, especially being at some someplace like the Cancer Society where we were interacting with survivors and, and a lot of different families that were grieving and stuff like that, um, you're able to approach those situations a little bit differently. 
And so with, because there is such a disparity in the nonprofit field of, of the ratio of women to men of it, that it's 80% women until you get up into the more executive levels. What is it that you think that men could learn from women and could, in order to get more involved in the beginning, in the, in the lower tier, uh, not lower tier, but in the, in the volunteer space, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing I've seen, because I have seen many men do it very successfully too, um, patience always seems to be a big thing. When you're working with volunteers, you have to be very patient sometimes. And um, I think we just think differently, you know? <laughs> um, yes. With like our, just the way we follow certain sequences and stuff like that, our processes. And um when you're working with volunteers, it's a little bit of a free for all sometimes when you're trying to get something done. So um, just being very patient with them, I think goes a long way. And now would that, would that learning apply similarly to men in the executive and leadership positions in nonprofits? Or would it be a different thing that you would hope that men in at your level at the leadership and direct executive director level would would learn something different or similar yeah i think um i've been very lucky to work with a lot of great men in our space um mm -hmm. so it's almost like those that get to that level maybe have that in them a little bit um the ones that i've seen that it hasn't quite gone so smoothly I think differently too, and try a lot with very little explanation or um, empathy sometimes, depending on what the situation is. Um, and so maybe that's something that they need to be a little bit more aware of when, especially coming into a new organization. Interesting. I find that fascinating that it's empathy and compassion that is the strong suit, but that you've seen almost that, that drive and ambition to change when they're up in the higher leadership and executive roles um, be not as, as, as strong, at least with the leadership team, not necessarily empathetic toward the cause, but more at least in the leadership position. Why do you, why do you think that is? I think because what, what I've seen, at least, is a lot of the men that come in at that level are outside hires. They haven't come up through the organization because I do think it's different. Um, one of my first bosses came up through the organization and it was like you could tell there was a difference between the two of them. Um, so they a lot of times have come from more for-profit companies. And I, I think a lot of it, maybe what it comes down to is just learning more about the nonprofit field because um, we don't we need to operate as a business and people need to allow us to operate more as a business but at the same time we aren't it is different and um, mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of it is where a lot of this other stuff you see it a little bit more because um, they're coming from an outside place and trying to make quick business decisions but yeah nonprofits historically react very slowly, which I'm not saying is a good thing. <laughs> like we need to yeah. find somewhere in between, um, but they operate at a very slower pace, and uh, especially when it comes to change and decisions. And I think a lot of it's because, you know, most of us are serving volunteers and quick change, you know, you can't, you can't do it. How, what is it about the nonprofit space that makes things move a little slower? Is it, is it the volunteers? Is it managing volunteers or? I mean, I think that everyone, you know, everyone has a, some sort of audience that they're serving mm -hmm. one way or another, but maybe it's because our volunteers are a little bit more emotionally invested because typically they're there for a cause that they're passionate about, or they potentially have a tragic connection to, you know? Mm. Um, so they, when something changes, 
like change needs to be really handheld. Um, so you have to move slowly and you have to be very transparent on why it's happening. And even then you have to um, just handle it a little bit different and we can't just react and do something quickly because I mean, we saw it here at Lionsheart. We took away the hour requirement and I think it I wasn't here when it happened. I think it was a over the course of a, a month, but it really, just by doing it that quickly, it really backfired on us. Um, mm. You really need a lot of their input. And I think it's a lot because they're very personally invested in our organization. And I, I love the fact that to, to circle back to when you became executive director, like one of the number one things is that you you listened you listened to the volunteers you listened to that feedback and you listened to what the the people in in the leadership and in who are actually in doing the work that that you listen to their feedback yeah i think in a especially a cert, like a program organization like we are you know we wouldn't exist without them and they're, you know, they're why we're here. So, you know, we want to hear what they want. And yeah, you can't make everyone happy, but at least you can get their feedback and try to find a, a middle ground somewhere. So what would you say, Becca, is your absolute favorite failure? Mistake, mess up, F up? Um... That's a tricky question. <laughs> um, I guess the thing that comes to my mind the most is going through some of what we went through in the last year. Uh, I learned a lot about the way I was communicating what was happening with us financially, like to the board, because mm -hmm. I think I was one trying to prove myself try and trying to make everyone feel like, you know, I got this, I know what I'm doing, I got complete control over it, which I did. But by doing that, I was also maybe downplaying a little bit more of the situation, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want someone to think I couldn't do it. And that came on me, because I am putting that on myself. You know, no one was telling me I couldn't, I was putting that on myself. Um, so I think I learned a lot about myself and how I communicate by going through that, um, it really was eye-opening for me. And some of that came into some of the stuff that happened in my childhood. Like I, I communicate like this because of this. <laughs> and I just yeah. learned so much from that situation um, to help me communicate better with everybody, I, really. That's uh, And that's why I love asking that question specifically because so often our our biggest mistakes or failures or whatever you want to call it they end up being the best lessons and illuminating something some past piece of programming or something that we grew up with since childhood that maybe is no longer serving us because one of my favorite quotes is what got you what got you here will not get you there and so sometimes those things those past pieces of programming, those old beliefs, those old habits of communicating or of, of reacting or of dealing with situations, whatever it is, those, those pieces of information allow us to see, okay, this one is no longer going to serve me. It served me to this point, but it's no longer going to serve me for where we're going. And that's why I love asking that question so much, even though it's a very hot spot question. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bad part of blocking out really bad things. <laughs> I'm like, I need to remember failure a little bit more. <laughs> that's why that one's hard for me. <laughs> well, I think also it's not necessarily, as long as you gain the lesson from it, I think the failure does not necessarily have to be <laughs> remembered with, with any sort of shame or blame or anything yeah. like that. But just um, in essence, almost gratitude for the fact that it happened because now you operate with so much more communication. You have a different way of communicating. And, and I mean, one of my favorite failures is when I lost my e-commerce company because had I, I learned so much not only with that company, but I also 
I also found so much when I ha- didn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I didn't have it, that was when I came up with the idea for Crown Yourself. And that was when I realized how much of me I had been holding back in that business in order to be some buttoned up version of myself rather than fully authentically, this is me, this is who I am here's my business as my extension of myself. Um, And that's one of my favorite failures. Yeah. I mean, I think things like that are really when you, when you learn the most. And when we were going through all this, I was very aware that like, I'm probably never going to grow as much in this position than going through that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 150%. Like that, that was your, that like I believe that is it is in those moments where most people would perceive it as failure and 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 sometimes we just perceive oh those old habits or old those old tools or those old communication tactics or whatever it was those have failed us because those are not going to get us to where we want to be or where we're where we're going or where we're driving our company but the lessons are going to grow us so magnanimously that that is where leaders are really made leaders are made in rising in that challenge that other people would would back down and and shy away from mm-hmm. so if you are ready to get into a little bit of rapid fire you ready uh, this is where i am not great <laughs> <laughs> I will let you know, uh, in, in past interviews, I have sucked at rapid fire because I just love talking to our amazing guests so much that eventually it turns into rapid-ish fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh. Um, probably has to be Hermione Granger. And I think she's just... Uh, She's a great role model for girls, and she's very authentic and strong, and but it's not like in your face as much, I guess. Yeah. If you were queen of a country, what would be your prime focus? Uh, probably service. Mm. And how would you encourage that within your kingdom? No, make it mandatory. No. <laughs> <laughs> you must be of service to nonprofits or in some way to somebody. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't really teach you anything. But I think, um, actually, it's something that I think that the younger of the royal family is doing well with um, Prince Harry and Meghan and Prince William is just showing they're so service focused. And I think it is really showing a lot of people really exposing them to issues and um, showing why it's so important to, to give back. I love it. If your palace had a swear jar, how much money would you have to put in it daily? Oh, probably not, <laughs> a, not a big swear. So probably not a, not too much. <laughs> like a dime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what woman would you want to trade places with just for one day? Oh, That's a hard one. Um, part of me wants to say Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but uh, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure why. <laughs> That's just where I'm going. Um, cool. Um, That's you know, fine. That works. You know what? Actually, maybe like, you know, mother daughter relationships can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And maybe my mom just to understand a little bit more, you know? Yeah. I love that. Just to, to experience a different perspective. So if you had to have your success at twice the speed, and this is, I mean, you've had such rapid success, like, holy crap, twice the speed. Um, how would you have done it? I don't really know that I could have done it quicker. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess the only way really is uh, had I started, like fully started my own organization, but quite honestly, I don't know that that's what I want to do. 
What would you say are three daily habits that you do every day that have been able to sustain your level of performance? Uh, exercise for one. I exercise like a crazy person. Um, and it's, you can even tell when I haven't, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I think it just keeps me so much more sane. Uh, I'm a big runner and uh, spin. So, and I think that's where I really get all my ideas when I'm running. Um, Same here. Are you a marathon runner? I am. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So I'm trying, I, um, I took a little break and I, I'm trying to, that's never a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get back into it. Um, I did Boston a couple years ago. And since then I got hypothermia during the race and I just haven't been able to run much since then. It's like, my mind is like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> remember last time we did this, it did, it was not good. <laughs> so, but yeah, I told, I totally know that my, I'm training for the LA marathon in, in 2020 mm -hmm. and, uh, my, my, the last time I ran a marathon was right after, like, it was a year after giving birth. And I took, taken a bit of a hiatus while I was pregnant from running and my body did not like that last marathon. So yeah. it's, it's been a little rebellious in these past couple months. Um, so what, what message would you want to share with the world? Um, I think really just be kind, you know, um, we just all need a little bit more kindness. And I think it was something I learned quickly working in retail as a teen, but it's like, you only know a small portion of what's really going on in someone's life and um, just treat everybody with a little bit more kindness. Mm. Slow, maybe slow down a little bit too, especially on the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's such a valuable message. I saw uh, a sign once and I think it was Coffee Bean of just be kind. You don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. They, other people have problems that they're dealing with and you don't, something like that. It was curtailed, obviously, so that it was, um, brevity is not my specialty. So, <laughs> but it, it, uh, it definitely was a message of just like, you, you never know what's going on in somebody else's world or in somebody else's universe. And I love that, that your message is to just spread kindness because sometimes, uh, as one of my clients told me years ago, you can change the world with a smile. Yeah. Giving a smile to the right person might just change the world. Yeah, definitely. So lastly, how do you crown yourself? Oh, like what's my title? <laughs> how, however you want it. It is, this is the totally open-ended question of however you want to define crown yourself. It is up to you and your awesome self. Oh. There's no right or wrong. <laughs> um. I feel like I should, that's, why is this so difficult? <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess, um, This is really tough. <laughs> it can be anything. It can be anything. I've heard answers from the daily habits you do every day to how you're a leader, how you show up in the world on a daily basis, where, uh, what your mission is. It can be literally anything that you decide it to be in this moment, and it, it's right for what it is right now, and it can change tomorrow. Yeah. Um. I think what it is, I have trouble putting myself higher than anyone. And that's what I'm struggling with right now. Mm. You know? um, um, I think really it's like, almost like the queen of compassion. I love that. Like, I think I've been like that since I was a child. <laughs> I love that. And 
I meet you here, queen to queen, and I thank you so much for coming on the show. I thank you so much for sharing your heart and your love of service as we are highlighting a different nonprofit every week in November and for all the thing that you are bringing to the world as as a leader, as a nonprofit leader, and as one of the, the female executive directors, I am so excited, Becca, to see where your career takes you and to how you change the world, you know, within six months. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully nothing else crazy happens in the next six months. <laughs> a little respite and then, you know, you can jump on another change yeah. and another challenge. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> the world is your oyster. Yeah. <laughs> so I am so grateful for you for showing up, for being here. Thank you so much. And if you love this episode, please tag us on Instagram. Take a screenshot of it. Tag us at Crown Yourself Now and let us know what it was that you loved about this episode. What is your top takeaway? And how are you going to bring more kindness? compassion and be of greater service while also valuing yourself and your worth as the queen of your life and how are you going to change this world so let us know and if you love this episode please leave us a review in iTunes thank you so much and remember that your reign is now Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at Crown Yourself Now or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.